your households like mine, music, Christmas music specifically, has been playing for about four weeks. And you hear a lot about these lists and how on these lists are good children and there's naughty children. But you know what I don't hear about is how, how, what's, how are they decided? What is good and what is naughty? Are they graded on a curve? <laughs> I, I think they would have to be. If they were held to the standards of the Bible, uh, there would be no Christmas morning. For any sort of merriness or happiness in Christmas uh, is dependent, uh, whether you believe in the Bible or a secular reasoning, both of them would agree, we need to get off that bad list, Right? we got to get off the bad list. But the Lord has shown us that because of the sin of Adam, it's passed down generation after generation, that it plainly states, no one is good, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in that sin, we remain far from our Lord. The Lord who in him is peace and joy and happiness. Only in him do we find rest for our souls, will we find calmness for our minds, and will we find the forgiveness of our sin. So how will we have a very Merry Christmas? How are we going to, tomorrow morning, enjoy Christmas, and an enjoyment that's not going to fade with circumstances or stress or anything else. How can you and I be at peace with God and be at peace with one another, full of unending joy and rest in our hearts? Well, it's not by heeding the warning, you just better not pout, (laughs) and just be good for goodness sake. (laughs) That doesn't work, does it? The answer lies actually outside of us. The answer lies in another person. Somebody who's so far beyond us. It's a wonder that we could ever be near to him. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Mary, the Son of God, God with us. Follow along with me as I read Matthew chapter 1 starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Jesus, or just Joseph, excuse me, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we are here this morning uh, during this busy time of year. It can be a joyful time of year. It can be the hardest time of year. But no matter where we're at, Lord, this is a good place to be. That we can join together as your family and to acknowledge you, the Christ, the Savior of the world. Father, will you bring rest to us? Will you bring a calmness to us? A silence in us? That we may just ponder you. That our eyes may be turned to you. Fill us with wonder. That you, the eternal God, would come and live with us. As one of us. Born to die and yet live forevermore. And so, Father, help us in our weakness. Help us in our, in our lacking. Help us in, in, our, in our struggle with faith and knowledge. May your Holy Spirit do His work in us this morning, that we can truly have a Merry Christmas, and one that doesn't fade by the 26th. Give us unending joy that can only be found in your Son. In Christ's name. Amen. So as we're reading this in Matthew chapter 1, we read it, and we read it pretty quickly. But if we put ourselves in the shoes of Joseph, he has just received the worst news he could ever receive. The girl that he is to marry is pregnant. And he knows that it wasn't him. He knows he has kept himself pure. He knows that he's been keeping his side of the covenant. But that means that Mary and some other man has sinned. And now she is carrying that shame with her. And he too is carrying shame. What's he going to do? I mean, according to the law, he could have her killed. If not, he could at least publicly humiliate her and make this big announcement that the covenant has been broken and he is to send her away. And for the rest of her life, she's going to carry that guilt and shame with her. But it says that he is a righteous man and he doesn't want to do either of those. He still loves this girl. But this is not something that he can overlook. So he's going to divorce her quietly. He's going to send her away quietly. The relationship is over. And then one night, in his sleep, he receives this startling message. For his heart had been heavy with the severity of sin and how sin can snowball. And it doesn't just hurt the sinner, it hurts everyone connected with the person. And that he is now dealing with the consequences of this sin. And this angel comes and he tells him that Mary is not in sin. 
that this is not an act of sin. And so Joseph realizes that Mary hadn't sinned, but the baby she is carrying was going to be born to take care of his. That he is a sinner before the Lord. And he needs her baby. He is in need. That this baby is not a result of sin like he thought, but that this baby is a remedy for sin. The Savior of the world was being formed in her womb. And though very few people would understand or even believe, she, she probably carried the stigma uh, that comes with this pregnancy for the rest of her life. He was to take her and, and make her his wife. He would bear that burden with her. And the baby's name was already chosen by God. The baby's name, Jesus. The name Jesus simply means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. And if you remember, this name of God is that covenant name. He saves those who are in covenant with Him. He brings a salvation, a forgiveness of sin. And, and it says that Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. What that means, we don't know. What really happened in the womb of Mary where God really used her body... He was truly human, and that's, that's where we're going with this. We're seeing God, or Jesus is truly human this morning. Tonight, we're going to see Jesus is truly God. But it says that the Holy Spirit was there from the very beginning. Remember Genesis. Let's not forget Genesis, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. But who was there? The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And we can imagine the emptiness and the darkness of this little girl's womb. And the Holy Spirit was hovering over. And in that womb, a miracle took place by the power of God. Where the one who spoke all things into existence entered and became a baby. You see, Jesus could not be conceived by the seed of Joseph. By man, sin is passed down to the next generation. It's through Adam, not Eve. Because through Adam we've all sinned. Jesus was to be born. He couldn't be born by the conception of Joseph and Mary. It doesn't work. Sin would have corrupted him. Sin would have ruined him. And he would not have been able to save us from our sin. Jesus had to be sinless. He had to escape the curse of humanity. And so we see that outside of God, there was no salvation. It was impossible for everyone born any other way was going to inherit the curse of sin, and when sin, of course, is fully complete, death. But by the miracle of God, by allowing a virgin to bear a child, God showed his power over sin. He was over this. He was sovereign. 
as was read this morning, the question is asked. It was first asked to Abraham, remember, and now asked again here. What is impossible with God? Is there anything too wonderful for him? Well, we look at this, something we, we recognize and we think on and we celebrate every year to the point where I think sometimes we're like, yeah, we've heard this, but is anything too wonderful for God? We read this and go, there, there can't be. I mean, truly, what is more remarkable than this miracle? And then Jesus raises from the dead. And we go, oh, <laughs> that is remarkable. It's crucial that we understand that Jesus was a very real human being. And it seems that immediately after God formed the church, the very first century, already teachings began to creep in. The whole idea of the hypostatic union, Jesus being fully God and fully man, we struggled with that. Uh, There's big struggles with that. And a, and a false teaching started creeping into the back door of the church. It was called docetism. And, and this is a teaching that Jesus only appeared to be human. That he was fully the spirit of God, but that his body was maybe something like an illusion or a phantom. And then in the next century, a man named Marcion kind of took that on and, and, and expounded upon it. Uh, he really struggled with the idea of Jesus being fully human. And so he began to teach that Jesus only appeared to suffer as a human. That his resurrection was only a spiritual resurrection. That it wasn't physical because his body wasn't truly physical. And in fact, the birth of Jesus was such a stumbling block to him, it's, re it's recorded about him, that he took out Luke chapter 1 and 2. He started with Luke chapter 3. He denied the birth of Jesus. I wonder if he believed the book of 1 John. <laughs> because John says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. That means every teaching that's coming. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. What kind of false prophets? By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. We must believe that Jesus was fully human. That his suffering was true suffering. That his resurrection was, yes, a spiritual resurrection, but fully physical as well. We witness Jesus as a very real human being. You read the Gospels and he's a very real human being, experiencing the experiences we all have, going through these things. A person just like you and me, in, in every part of his being, as it came to growing and feeling and experiencing, Jesus was completely and utterly human. In fact, if he wasn't completely and utterly human, there's a lot more than just Luke chapter 1 and 2 that we need to throw out of our Bibles. Let's just, let me just take you on a little tour of Jesus' humanity, starting in Luke chapter 2. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Well, does God grow and does God become strong? No. John 4, 6, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. 
Do we believe that God can ever become weary? No. He has to be human. Matthew chapter 21, in the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. He became hungry. How about John 19? After, and I'm going to expound on this one. It's, there's a few verses here. It's him on the cross now. After this, Jesus, knowing all that was, that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. As I read this passage, just for yourself, try to find all the human characteristics of Jesus. So he says, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. If Jesus lived among us as just a mere illusion then those verses are extremely misleading and God is mocking us. But I don't believe that. We must believe. It is imperative to believe that God came in the flesh. And when he came, he took on the fullness of humanity. Everything we know to be human except sin. Except sin. If Jesus is not human, then he cannot be our Savior. That's a massive statement for some people. They struggle with that. But if Jesus is not human, he cannot be our Savior. But we find here in Matthew chapter 1, Mary will conceive and she will bear a son and he will save us from our sin. And this leads us to another question. Why did Jesus have to be human? Why? Why was it so important that he actually became one of us? Why does that really matter? We're celebrating a baby being born. Why couldn't God save us from our sin another way? Why can't he just say your sins are forgiven? Why does this have to happen? The Lord lives in eternal light. He lives in righteousness. He is pure forever. In him there is no darkness. There is no deceit, no immorality, no sin. And for any person to live with God, it requires that we are the same way. That we're placed on that good list, right? And to be placed on the good list... Our sins need to be removed. Our sin has to be removed. That's what it means when, God, when it says God forgives us our sin. He removes our sin. He sends away our sin. He conquers sin. He renders it helpless. And then he throws our sin away. Jesus is the only righteous human living in perfect obedience to his Father 
was the only person ever to live without sin. And let's think about that for a second. This is hypothetical because Jesus was born to die. He knew at about the age of 33 he would die. But if he hadn't, Jesus never sinned, thus Jesus would never die. He would have been the first human to be immortal, to live forever. For, for sin hadn't overtaken him, and he would be walking in the very obedience of his eternal Father. But Jesus was sent by God to be the sin sacrifice for a world that was desperately lost in darkness. For we live in darkness. We love darkness. Naturally, our flesh gravitates towards others who love the same sin. We promote that sin. We indulge in that sin. That is us from birth, but not Jesus. Look what uh, the law has to say. It says in Hebrews chapter 9, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So this has taken us back to the question, why does Jesus have to be human? Why? Because it says right there, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And does God have blood? Is he reliant upon blood? No. Of course not. So our God takes on blood into his veins. And for his lifetime here, it was doing what blood does for us. But his blood was special. It was pure. It was sinless. It was spotless. And it was in his body for the very purpose of what we just read when that spear entered his side and it poured out onto the ground. That's why it was there. The book of Leviticus says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Hebrews would go on to explain that animals' blood can't forgive our sin because it's a different flesh. It's a different blood. No animal on this earth is truly spotless. There's always at least one spot, one flaw. A goat cannot die for a human's crime. That's not true justice. God cannot overlook in mercy someone's sin without it being paid for. That's not justice. That's not righteous. And we want God to be righteous. We need God to be righteous. God is just, but He is merciful. So, in order for that to both be true, sin had to be paid for, but not by us. And there was only one solution. He himself came down and was born with real flesh and blood. He became tired and weary. He became hungry and thirsty. He needed sleep just like you and me. He needed prayer for strength. He probably got skinned up knees 
blisters from work. He was a real person. And he came to save us by becoming sin for us on the cross. His body was beaten. It was, it was bloody. His breath was strained. His heart was broken. He felt every lash of the whip. The nails went through very real flesh and nerves and bone. He was as human as you and I. And it says he suffered in every way. Listen, it is in Jesus' death alone, that's it, where we can find salvation by grace through faith. Why? Because he is fully human and fully God. Again, tonight we're going to look at why was it so important that Jesus was fully God. But we're going to end here just thinking on his humanity. For us to have a, a Merry Christmas today and tomorrow, it cannot be found in just festivities. It cannot be found in just food, no matter how good that food might be. It cannot come in any day if it's void of Jesus. We can have meals, we can open presents, we can enjoy people, but if we do not trust Jesus, we are still in our sin. And death will be our end. We will be removed from God's presence forever and ever. In a place that's called the lake of fire, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, there's restlessness and there's perpetual sadness. There's pity and anger forever and ever. We will suffer for eternity in every way. But there's good news for us, declared by angels and seen in Jesus. No longer do we have to suffer in sin. You don't have to. No longer do we have to strive to be good. No longer uh, do we have to try our best to get on that nice list <laughs> because it's always going to be just out of reach. Jesus was born. And through him the world will be saved. Those who look to the cross and believe that Jesus was of flesh, was raised from the dead, and those who turn away from their sin, repent of their sin and trust in Christ, clinging to his righteousness, for them and them alone, it's a very, very Merry Christmas. And only those can sing joy to the world. Only those understand, oh, holy night. Jesus Christ has been born. Our Father, I thank you for this truth. I thank you for your act of coming into the world to save sinners. That though we have rebelled against you, Lord, you have had great compassion on us. You love us with an unending love for and, and it shows in Christ's great humility that he emptied himself for us. Father, I can't grasp in my mind Almighty God being hungry. I, I don't understand. I can't get it that he's wearied and, and, and needed strength. I can't grasp in my head that 
the, the giver of life died. But Lord, I believe it. Because you have said it is true. And I have seen and I have witnessed the great power of your salvation in the people's lives who believed. So Lord, as, we, as your church bow our heads before you, we rejoice in your gift. That we don't have to purchase this salvation. We don't have to earn this salvation. It is offered to us. Free of charge. It costs you everything. It costs us simply our faith. That we believe what you have said is true. Lord, we follow you. Wherever you may lead us. No matter what roads we have to go in this life, Father, we know that those who know your voice will end up with you forever. Home. We long for home. Where righteousness reigns and sin no longer exists. A place with no more cemeteries. A place with no more funerals. A place with no more hospitals. But you our Lord Jesus, who was born as a baby, reigning as king forever. Oh God, our hearts yearn for you. We long for you. And we cry out, come, come Lord Jesus. It is in your name that we have joy and peace and hope. And it is in your name that the Father hears us. Amen.